You're listening to the Sydney Opera House Artie Farty Podcast. I would always say, get, get it out. Get the pa- words on the page and then work on perfecting it. Because if you try and get something perfect on a page straight away, you'll be stuck and worried and it won't be as enjoyable as This talk was recorded as a live-streamed conversation. It's beautiful to have, you know, all these different cultures making up Australia. Everybody has a voice. Everybody has ideas. Um, Everybody has an opportunity to put that to paper. That connection to land, that connection to our ancestors is really important. Up next, Adam Goods, Ellie Lang and David Hardy. Hello everyone, my name is Ali. I'm a performer and educator here at the Sydney Opera House. And today the land that the Opera House stands on is called Benelong Point. But the traditional owners, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, called it Tubagale. And I'd like to acknowledge elders past and present. We have joining us today schools from all over the country, and not one, but three very special guests with us today. We have Adam Goods. Ellie Lang and David Hardy. They are the authors and illustrators of a new book called Somebody's Land. Adam is an Adnyamatna and Narunga man and community leader. He is a former Australian Rules champion and was named 2014 Australian of the Year for his work in the fight against racism and his advocacy for First Nations affairs. He's now also the co-author of this wonderful new book for children alongside Ellie Lang. Ellie Lang is a communications professional and former political advisor and journalist who lives on the lands of the Gamaraigal people. When Ellie's eldest son, Harvey, came home from preschool reciting acknowledgements to country and singing Aboriginal lullabies, she was inspired to collaborate on a series of books and she's currently completing some studies in traditional Aboriginal cultures. David Hardy is a Bakinji man with over eight years of animation experience at Walt Disney Animation Studios. He has worked on 11 feature films and he's currently the senior illustrator and animation manager at Lightning Box Games. So we're lucky to have these three extraordinary people with us today to answer their question, to answer all of our questions about this wonderful new book and to tell us what it's like to write and illustrate a book from scratch. So another warm welcome for Adam Goods, Ellie Lang and David Hardy. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank Thank you for having us. Uh, Well, let's get right to it because we've got lots of questions from the kids from different um, primary schools around the country and lots of questions in general about this extraordinary book, this wonderful thing that you have created together. So let's begin at the beginning. How did you three come together to write Somebody's Land? Um, yeah, it's an interesting question. I think um, you know, I think you know, when writing a book, you need a team of people. Um, I think when Ellie first called me up, we didn't think that we we're going to be writing books together. You know, she was calling me up to um, find out some resources for her younger children and herself around Aboriginal people and culture. You know, targeting those kids in preschool and early primary school. And I said, oh, look, there's not much out there. You know, there's some books out there, which is really great, but there's not a lot out there to help educate, you know, the parents and the children. And she sort of asked me, have you ever thought of doing some? And I said, well, actually, um, I've got a publisher in, in Alan and Umwan who's really keen to work with me. Um, you know, let's, let's, let's have a sit down and a, a powwow and talk about, you know, what it is we might want to do. You know, I, I was really keen on not just doing one book. I really wanted to tell lots of different stories, but also 
um, do it with someone like Ellie, who is the exact market that we want the books to go to, and that is a, a non-Indigenous Australian who has young children who wants to learn about Aboriginal people and culture because of, you know, what her children are bringing home from their daycare. So, Ali, it started a couple of years ago, really, and, and as you mentioned, my eldest son, Harvey, I have two now, little Lewis is three, but Harvey was three at the time, and he goes to preschool and daycare, and we were sitting around the dining table, and um, out of the blue, I just heard Harvey recite an acknowledgement of country. And it was long and there were big words and I thought, and I sort of took my breath and I listened to it and, and I just thought, this is fantastic. Wow, listen to Harvey recite this. These are such important words and words that I never said when I was his age and I never said when I was a kid. And I thought, this is fantastic. And he was only three, so he didn't really maybe appreciate all of the words, but he was saying them and I felt fantastic that one day he would appreciate and understand every one of those words. And that's when I thought, oh, look, I, I'd love to know more about this. And because I'm an ex-journalist and my husband had worked at the Sydney Swans for many years, Adam and I knew of each other. We weren't close friends, but, we, but we'd seen each other at games and events and, and we did some stories together and um, in the news. And we did the weather once. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and, um, and, and I said, look, Adam, this is what's happened. Um, you know, do you know of any great resources? And then, and then I said, oh, have you ever thought about writing something yourself? And he said, do you know what, Ellie, I have. And at that point, he had Adelaide, who I think was not even one. No, no. And um, So Adelaide's your daughter? Eldest daughter now, yes. Yeah. And so... Adam was reading every day, lots of times every day to Adelaide. He's a great reader, by the way. <laughs> you get to hear him later. And, um, and I was reading to my boys as well. So we both really, um, we love children's books and we, we sort of both knew what our kids liked in a children's book. And so we started chatting and, and here we are today. And how did Mr David yeah. find his yeah. way into this team? Well, um, yeah, I got a call from Alan and Unwin uh, just uh, they showed interest in in my illustrations and yeah I just read the script and you know being indigenous it was like really important for me it's like Australian history uh, indigenous culture is just a big part of Australian history and I just thought you know I have to do this great he's very modest he's yes. an incredible <laughs> illustrator um, now, if we get him talking about some of the movies that he's worked with, a lot of the kids out there will know what those movies are and go, wow, how cool is that? And the way that he's been able to interpret our words into these incredible pages that you're going to see, um, we couldn't be happier and even more happier that he's going to be part of the whole series, the Welcome to Our Country series, which Somebody's Land is the first book of. Great. So we've got four more books on the way. That's with right. With this team of people. Correct. That's right. Can't wait. Yeah. And the minute we saw David's stuff, we, we were blown away. It's like, true. We David, want the proof David. is in the pudding. <laughs> 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 this is the guy. This is the guy. Yeah. He's so clever. Well, now we have a question from Darlington Public School. What made you want to write a book? 
What made you want to write the book? All the money you make, Ali. <laughs> it's all about the money. No. Travelone? Of course. Of course. <laughs> Not true. You've got to learn about interest, though. You've got to pay interest on the loan. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I'm yes. going to take that back. Something that I can learn in mathematics back at, back at school. <laughs> Up to you teachers to do that. But um, the main reason for me is about, you know, as an Aboriginal person and, um, you know, one thing I missed out was my connection to my culture and the stories of my people in that being passed on to me. And being able to write a book helps me keep telling those stories that I missed out on, that I'm now learning about reconnecting with my Aboriginal um, uh, elders in my community now. Um, so in doing so, I'm creating stories for all of Australians to, to read and share on our shared history. So, a message for all of our students, you know, tuning in now, is that it's really important for them to tell their story, whether it's in drawing or writing or whatever, whatever their mode of expression is, but it's, it's important for them to tell their story. Would you agree with that? Everybody has a voice. Everybody has ideas. Um, everybody has an opportunity to put that to paper because someone whether it's tomorrow, whether it's a year or it's in a hundred years, someone will read that and they can be inspired by that. They can say, hey, that's exactly like me. And I think it's when we learn about people that have overcome the same challenges and adversities as we have, we're a lot more empathetical to those people. And I think by learning about our shared history, you know, this is, if you're born in Australia, this is our history mm. that we need to learn about. Um, and this is a way for us to understand what has happened in the past so that when we move forward together, we always have that in the back of the mind. This is what has happened. Let's make sure we never do this again. Okay. Well, that's a great place to, for our next section to talk about the story because the story of somebody's land is um, really inspiring and also really serious at the same time. So let's begin with the title, Somebody's Land. Why is that an important title or why did you choose that particular title? It, it, was, it took a while for us to land on the right title. Um, and as the kids will, um, and parents, will, will see when they read this book, the book centres around the central theme of two words of terra nullius. Now, terra nullius um, is a Latin term that means nobody's land. Um, and, and as people will, will slowly see in the book, it was the term that the British and the settlers gave to the land when they arrived in Australia so that they could assume control of it. Uh, that, so that they, was, they, they, they used it to, to say that no one was here when in fact there was, and we know that there was. Um, so, but the words terra nullius, they sound a bit scary. They sound almost like a dinosaur, really, don't they? They really do. So we thought, well, maybe, maybe we won't put that on the front cover. <laughs> but the words um, that you keep hearing throughout the book are, but it was somebody's land. And for us, it, gave, um, it gives a really lovely sense of mystery for our younger readers about, well, if it was somebody's land, whose land was it? Mm. And then, of course, we discover... Um, at the end, and, we, and we're learning all the way through um, that it was Aboriginal land. Yeah. And, think, and so that's yeah, why we chose those words. Yeah, exactly. And I think um, by not explaining what terra nullius is in the book, it then gives the parents and the children opportunity then to go off and ask those questions to learn more about that. 
and then for them to understand the meaning of terra nullius and then go, well, actually, they did build houses, they did farm, they did um, hunt, you know, they did all the things that say, well, they were living here, um, yeah. which then breaks down that, you know, it's very hard for them to claim terra nullius of these lands because they were doing all those things. Just because they didn't have um, fences and posts marking out the boundaries of their land um, didn't mean that nobody was here. Yeah, mm. yeah. So, if terra nullius means nobody's land, and the book is called Somebody's Land because actually there were people here and families and relationships and, and humans surviving together. What's been the impact or the effect on our Australian Aboriginal people when it was called Terra Nullius, but actually it was somebody's land? There's been a massive effect, um, obviously a lot of it being negative, um, but there's been a lot of positive. The positive side to it all is that every one of those primary school students out there listening today, they know the lands of the Aboriginal people they're on. They would all do an acknowledgement of country. Some, a couple of times a year, might get Aboriginal elders to come in to do a welcome to country. Um, these are very special parts of, of our culture and sharing. And if you've been born in Australia, you're part of that culture. This is our shared story. So um, for our young children, we want them to understand, you know, bits of our history so they can then go out and learn more about it. Um, and what our books are really designed for is not only just for the students, but it is for the facilitators, the teachers, the carers, the parents as well to go on that journey. Yeah, so we all have a great deal to learn and that's really exciting and fun, actually. Mm. It should be fun. Yeah. Learning is fun. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Well, now we have another question from a school and this comes from Darlington Point Public School and I think this might be about how hard it can be collaborating with people sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have any fights of what to write? Did you have any fights about what to write? She sounds like she has older siblings. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm just putting that out there. Being the older sibling of three, I can understand that maybe my way or the highway. I'm uh, one of six, <laughs> and I can guarantee you there are fights. So I think yeah. that's a great question. It's a great um, question. It is a really good question, and I think... Um, to answer it, no, we didn't have fights because I think what Ellie and I bring in our partnership and what David brings also is Ellie and I can't draw. Not to the standard that he <laughs> can. So he, we're not going to fight with anything that he puts forward. We can give him advice on what we would like the pictures to look like, but we give him complete licence mm. to, to go out there and have his artistic flair. But from Ellie and my point of view, you know, I have um, Indigenous heritage to bring into the book, but also the guidance of my elders and, and my mob back on country to help us with that information and language and sharing in the book. But Ellie also brings an incredible side of the market that we want to engage with, the market of people we are talking to and how we should talk to them. And that is where the partnership really works extremely well. Um, there hasn't been a fight. There hasn't... There's always been... Discussion. uh, discussions. And I think that would be the message back to the kids that whenever you're in a team, there should never be fights. There should always be challenges. There should also be discussions where everyone has their own opinion. And then you meet in the middle of, okay, what can we do that we all as a, 
as a team would say that we're happy with as a direction going forward. Yeah, great. So it's okay to disagree. Yeah, absolutely. It's really okay. This, this isn't, you know, the end book. It doesn't look like the first draft. No. You know, there mm. were lots of different versions. There were lots of different pictures. stuff, yeah. yeah. Do you want to talk about... Oh, yeah, it was just... Um, yeah, we, we've got to make sure that we get... Uh, we don't offend anyone, like, um, drawing, say, the wrong outfit. or Like, we did all did a fair bit of research as well, um, just making sure that we, you know, got things right. Um, there were some creative uh, choices uh, that probably weren't so great to start off with, and so it was, it was just more about moulding something together, but getting everyone's influences and, and creative feedback and just bring it all together and I think it... But it's great for everyone to know that you don't, you're not supposed to be perfect the first time. You no, do not, things not at in all. drafts, don't you? So version one, version two, version three, version 100. Yes. <laughs> yeah? Lots of conversations. And, and what you get at the end, having had Adam's input, my input, David's input, mm. other Adam's sure, family's yeah. input, the publisher's input, you get a product that, ev that, that is really everyone can be proud of. Mm. Yeah, that's great. Well, now we have another question, and this one comes from years K to 2 at Sapphire Coast Anglican College. Question for David Hardy How long have you been drawing for? And. Sometimes your drawings look like cartoons in books. <laughs> so, David, how long have you been drawing for? And sometimes they look like cartoons in books. Any reason for that? <laughs> okay, well, uh, I've always had a pencil in my hand ever since I was a kid, like a, a baby. Like, all I did was draw. Uh, we'd go on family trips, holidays, and I'd always have a drawing, drawing pad, just sketching my whole life. So uh, it's a passion that I've, I've had, you know, since day one. Um, and in regards to the cartoony style, it's um, probably due to my Walt Disney uh, background. I, I worked on 11 feature films, uh, Lion King, uh, Akuna Matata, Lilo and Stitch. So yeah, I've drawn cartoons for, for many years. I had about eight years experience. So yeah, that's, that's probably where the, the Walt Disney flavor is you know, rubbed off on the book, so yeah. Excellent. Well, we're actually going to talk a little bit more about the illustrations in just a moment. So we'll yep. come back to that. Have okay. put that one in your pocket. Mm -hmm. um, to tell the story, so the actual style of the writing, you use a lot of repetition. And I think that's really important because sometimes we think repetition can be a terrible thing. We hear the words in, in, in the book. For thousands and thousands of years, Aboriginal people lived in the land we now call Australia, and also they said it was nobody's land, but it was somebody's land. And we hear that throughout the story. So we're going to talk in a little minute about how important that repetition is. Um, but before we do that, why don't we hear Adam read somebody's land to us? Oh, thanks, Ellie. We'd love to. <laughs> somebody's land. Every time I open it, David, I love the pictures. They're just so good. <laughs> okay. For thousands and thousands of years, Aboriginal people lived in the land we now call Australia. The land is where people built their homes, played in the sun, and sat together to tell stories. When the white people came, they called the land Terra Nullius. They said it was nobody's land but it was somebody's land. 
For thousands and thousands of years, Aboriginal people lived in the land we now call Australia. The land is where people cared for the rivers and seas, collected shells to share, and caught fish and mud crabs to eat. When the white people came, they called the land Terra Nullius. They said it was nobody's land, but it was somebody's land. For thousands and thousands of years, Aboriginal people lived in the land we now call Australia. The land is where people designed their tools, sharpened their spears, and threw boomerangs into the air. When the white people came, they called the land Terra Nullius. They said it was nobody's land but it was somebody's land. For thousands and thousands of years, Aboriginal people lived in the land we now call Australia. The land is where people spied tracks on the ground, hunted food to eat, and only took from country what they needed. When the white people came, they called the land Terra Nullius. They said it was nobody's land, but it was somebody's land. For thousands and thousands of years, Aboriginal people lived in the land we now call Australia. The land is where people gathered seeds and berries for bush tucker, made medicine from plants, and shared secret knowledge with family at sacred sites. When the white people came, they called the land Terra Nullius. They said it was nobody's land, but it was somebody's land. For thousands and thousands of years, Aboriginal people lived in the land we now call Australia. The land is where people painted their faces, carved teaching into rocks, and danced to awaken their ancestors. When the white people came, they called the land Terra Nullius. They said it was nobody's land, but it was somebody's land. For thousands and thousands of years, Aboriginal people lived in the land we now call Australia. The land is where people lit fires to keep warm, saw their dreaming in the moon and stars, and made music into the night. When the white people came, they called the land Terra Nullius. They said it was nobody's land, but it was somebody's land. It was Aboriginal land. It is Aboriginal land and always will be Aboriginal land. Thanks, Ali. Thank you, Adam. And Ellie and David, that was absolutely magnificent. So, we hear a lot of repetition and it's really beautiful. So what's the effect of this repetition in your story? Why did you use that as a device to tell the story? Yeah, the... It came from all the books that we've been reading to our children, you know, okay. and, and how that messaging was then, um, you know, going into my young daughter's mind, you know. Um, you know, one book that Ellie gave me early on that my daughter loves is, um, is it Oh No, George? Yeah. <laughs> it's about this really um, naughty dog. <laughs> <laughs> um, who his owner goes out and the repetitiveness is about George going, um, you know, what am I going to do now? And then the page goes, oh, no. And then you go, what's George going to do? Is he going to eat the cake? Is he going to dig up the dirt? Is he going to, you know, get the rubbish? And it's repetitive and you just see it build in Adelaide. You go, oh, no, George. And you turn the page <laughs> and she's like holding her mouth like this. What's he done now? And that repetitiveness builds the suspense, but it also builds 
um, the importance of, okay, there's something here that I need to expect or can ask a question about or can learn. And that repetitiveness for me as the person who's reading it is actually good that I can build something here in the story when I'm saying it to my daughter as well. So as parents reading it, we want them to really emphasise thousands of years. You know, we've been colonised only for 230 years. You know, we're talking about thousands and thousands. This is 50, 60,000 years that Aboriginal people have been living here. Mm. You know, us as, you know, Australia have only been here for 230 plus years. So mm. by emphasising on that is really important for the parents and the, and the children, but also the importance of it was claimed as nobody's land but it was somebody's land. We know yeah. it's somebody's land. Even in our acknowledgement and our welcome to countries, we know that it's somebody's land, but still that's not acknowledged mm. in our constitution here in Australia. It's not acknowledged um, in the Commonwealth as a sovereign nation. So hammering home those um, points is a, a point of acknowledgement, but also a point of learning that there's still something that needs to happen here. Great. Well, let's jump ahead to a question uh, because this is a great place for it, which is at the beginning of this book and indeed at the beginning of this interview, we had an acknowledgement of country. So what is an acknowledgement of country and why is it so important and when should we be having acknowledgements of country? Uh, well, I think personally it's just uh, like showing respect. Uh, I think that's the number one thing. Um, as far as when you should do it, I think at any, any specific event that might be happening on someone's land. So whenever people are gathering together, would that be a yep. good way of putting it? For sure, yeah. Yep. At, at my work, we, we do it before meetings. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So, so it's, it's, there are big events and then smaller mm. events. Yeah. And I think it's important for especially our kids watching today, that the reason we do an acknowledgement to country is because we're not a traditional person from this country. I'm not from Gadigal land, I'm from Ajnamutna Naranga land. If I was on that country, I could do a welcome with the permission of my traditional owners. Um, but what would happen is the welcome to country would be performed between the two Aboriginal nations that wanted to either hunt on each other's country or actually wanted passage through to somebody else's country. So they would light a fire, they would sit down and do a welcome to country like we saw um, you know, um, some of our brother boys doing at the start of the segment with, you know, calling to country. That was a calling of people to come together to do an acknowledgement, to do a welcome. Um, because if you've ever seen the map of Australia, and I think a lot of the kids might have it in their classrooms, you know, what it looked like before, you know, New South Wales, Victoria, ACT, mm. um, you know, Australia was like a map of Europe. Um, with lots of different countries, with lots of Aboriginal different groups, lots of different dreaming stories within that, lots of different language as well. Mm. So every time you wanted to cross those borders, just like in your travel overseas, you want to get your passport out. It's a way of acknowledging and paying respect to those people and asking for clear passage through those lands, either to hunt, either to just pass through, or even for marriage um, purposes as well. So just in the way it would be strange that if, um, if I had some people over to my house and you welcomed them in, that would be a bit odd. 
Correct. That it'd be, it'd be quite okay for me to welcome the people to my house because it's my house. And it would be really weird for me to walk into your house, walk straight through and jump the back fence so I can get to my friend's <laughs> house out yeah. the back without saying yeah. anything. Yeah, I'd just say, who's that man running through my house to go to the jump? It would be a bit strange. Please don't do that. You might be a bit unhappy about <laughs> it too. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so that's why we have an acknowledgement because that would be if you were the person running through my house. Not very respectful. Not very respectful. You'd be acknowledging that you've come to my house. Is right. that a good way of... of and asking permission to join you and asking permission to have safe passage. So in somebody's land, we can see a really special connection uh, between Aboriginal people and the land. And it seems to me that Aboriginal people um, from thousands and thousands of years of knowledge and wisdom seem to understand how to live with the land. So can either of you talk a little bit, um, David and, and Adam, a little bit to like what are things that you might do today which help you with this connection to land? Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me is just actually being reconnected to those traditional lands, to the stories of those lands. Um, you know, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, we didn't write things down. You know, we would carve things into to rocks to tell others about where water supply is, the seasons, so that people could find food. Um, but you can just imagine, imagine having a history of thousands, tens of thousands of years being passed down from generation to generation. What foods to eat, what not to eat, you know, um, actions and consequences. You know, people might say that the, the Bible is a great um, book of reference of how to live your life. Well. Indigenous people didn't have a Bible. Our history was oral, so we told stories. Um, and for me, whenever I get an older Indigenous person willing to tell me stories of their life, of, of, of their history, I'm all ears, I'm all listening, because that's where you learn, by reading. Um, in this instance, with somebody's name, but more importantly, for me, in my day-to-day -day life, by listening, listening to other people's stories. And for me, uh, the biggest, biggest thing that stands out uh, for me uh, I used to go back to my land, uh, which is Brewarrina, um, annually to learn about the culture. And I was amazed by how uh, they created, they call them the, the water traps, the fish traps. Mm. So what they used to do, they used to mould uh, kind of like barriers, like sandbars. So when there was high rise, the tide would come in, the fish used to swim in, then the tide would go out, the fish would be trapped. So it's just like easy pickings. <laughs> so it's kind of like a smorgasbord. Like, mm -hmm. Or we go to a food court today, it's, you don't want to hunt for your food. You, you want to make it easy for yourself. And so I was just amazed by that as a kid. And um, yeah, just small things like that. It's the, the way they used to you know, do things, most common people wouldn't even think about doing. Mm. It's just amazing, yeah. Mm -hmm. I guess that's what happens when you've spent 60,000 years or more on certain lands. Mm. You figure some things out, eh? Yeah. You do, you do, and I think for today, in the world that we live in today, we can still tap into this knowledge. Mm. You know, this knowledge luckily is still there with some of our older people. But we need to ask those questions. We need to get that information out of these incredible people, you know, especially stuff around, you know, bushfire. Uh, we were coming up to bushfire season. How did Indigenous people manage the land during these really 
troublesome times um, with, with fires and whatnot. Mm. They had incredible techniques in doing that. And um, we're only now starting to listen to a lot of those Indigenous people on country on how to best manage the land when it comes to bushfire season, which is great. There's other knowledges too that we can tap into. Excellent. Well, a big thank you to 3M4M at Pleasant Heights Public School for that question about connection to land. So let's jump back, as we said we would, and talk a little bit about illustrations in this book. Yeah. So, generally, was it the words or the illustrations that came first? How did this happen? It was the words. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yep. Okay. Oh, so once you got the words, David, how did you how did you get an image in your head? How did you begin to create this beautiful artwork? Do you start with a pencil and paper, or is it straight on a computer? What happens? Well, I've got a um, they call it a, like a, a drawing tablet, so it's about you know, size of a, a small TV. So I've got a screen and I've got a pen, so I can just draw as if it was on paper. Excellent. Um, but yeah, it's got an eraser, which always comes in handy. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and an undo button, which is even better. <laughs> <laughs> and you said earlier uh, that you have had a, a pencil in your hand since you were very young, just drawing yep. and doodling, etc., etc. So what would be some advice if we have some, some young artists out there who love to draw, right. what would be your advice to them? Oh, just Keep at it. Just keep going. Um, the more you, you, the more you practice, the better you're going to get. Um, I used to, you know, have trouble drawing hands, so I would buy a little notebook and just keep drawing hands. Just keep going, keep going, and then the more you do it, the better you become. Then, oh, I'm having trouble drawing feet, so you get another book and just keep drawing feet, 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 and just the more you do it, the more you practice, the better. You you so know. you're going to have books at home for hands, feet, feet yeah. bows, all, anatomy, all anatomy's covered. <laughs> okay. Well, we have another question, and this question comes from Campbelltown North Public School. Hi, I'm Molly from Campbelltown North Public School. I wanted to ask a question about the illustration of the Aboriginals being painted with ochre. Do the markings represent a mob or a ceremony? Thank you. Great. So, do the ochre paintings on the people in somebody's land represent a mob or ceremony? Well, um, there's, as uh, a lot of people may know, like there's so many different areas uh, and different markings are made in diff different countries, we call them, and areas. So, uh, it's, they are area specific. Um, some people, you know, or they all look the same. Some have lines, some have dots and, yeah, it, it's very area specific. Mm. And are the markings in this book specific to a particular area? No, not in this book specific. Um, we did really want to um, be as general as possible in this book without being too general to cover all Indigenous groups because you just can't do that because mm. we are so different across um, all of Australia. But in a way, we wanted to be not about the markings, but in our second book, which will be coming out early next year, we are very specific about right. the ochre right. painting, the position of the, um, the painting on the people in that. So very good question. Thank you for that because, um, you know, having that eye for detail about what you are drawing um, is many of the conversations we had with, with David and many. the advice that we, uh, <laughs> we, we, we had uh, along the journey of, you know, finishing this first book. Yeah, great. Okay, well now I'm going to read a very small section of the book so we can just talk about that afterwards. So, 
For thousands and thousands of years, Aboriginal people lived in the land we now call Australia. The land is where people painted their faces, carved teachings into rocks, and danced to awaken their ancestors. So from this, what could we say about the place of drawing, painting, and storytelling in the many different Aboriginal countries that call Australia home? And for Adam, do you have any specific examples that you might be able to give from your country? Yeah, definitely. So when I reconnected back to my country, um, I actually did that through another production of a TV show called Who Do You Think You Are? And they took me back to my ancestral lands, homelands, um, just past the Flinders Ranges. And I did a very special welcoming ceremony, welcome me as an Ajahnamutna person back to country and having the ochre placed and painted on my face. So that was a very special moment for me and something that now my wife and also my daughter Adelaide have been through. And that just connects us to that place and that's who we are. Um, another big ceremony that we did back on country was actually planting um, Adelaide's and my wife's placenta into the land of a birthing tree back on our country, grounding Adelaide's spirit and my wife's spirit back there uh, for us to go back onto those lands and and reconnect to to those points. So um, that connection to land, that connection to our ancestors is really important and we connect through through special ceremonies um, and those ceremonies involve us painting our bodies through dancing and through singing and that repetitiveness in doing all three of those. Um, And it's a great way for us as a community to connect, um, not only with each other, but also with our ancestors as well. Yeah, that's fantastic. Okay. So towards the end of the book, there's a really beautiful image of an emu in the night sky. And the story reads at that section, the land is where people lit fires to keep warm, saw their dreaming in the moon and stars and made music into the night. So my question about that beautiful image of the emu in the night sky is, is what is their dreaming and what does that emu in the night sky represent? Yeah, this is a really significant story to the east coast of Australia and I recommend anyone um, at school to look into emu dreaming. As you can see in the picture just there, the Southern Cross is just above it. So if you're looking at the Southern Cross um, at night time and you want to see the emu, the emu actually is the darkness in between all the other stars and you can see it. And what the emu was able to do for our people was actually tell us what the seasons were. Depending on where the emu was in our sky, it would tell us that the fire season was coming or we actually needed to plant our um, fields for for, um, our food. So it actually, you know, our Indigenous people were the first astrologers uh, the world had ever had. We used the stars and we used the dreaming stories of the emu to help us live our life through the seasons of not only a year, we didn't have a, a calendar year, but it would tell us when we needed to do things throughout the seasons. Wow, that's... So if we kept a, a really careful eye out, might we be able to see an emu in the night sky? On the, yes, we're on the eastern side, so it's Sydney or Queensland or Melbourne. The whole east coast of Australia should be able to see that emu. All right, everyone. There's the challenge. There's your challenge. You're going to keep your eye out to look out for the emu in the night sky. That's incredible. Mm. All right, let's think a little bit about the future because what we know is that you wanted to create this book so that parents of young kids, 
knew a little bit more about how to educate their kids and that kids knew a little bit more about this incredible, incredible history and culture that we have here in Australia. So to begin with, could you tell us a little bit about what you think some of the ways that um, uh, Australian Aboriginal culture and customs could help us maybe face some of the challenges we have in the world today? Yeah, that's a, it's a really great question. Um, I don't think it's something that us as a book are trying to answer. Um, I think what we're really trying to do is create a resource for our children, our teachers, our carers, our parents. But then also, you know, there is a real strong message around, well, what can we do? What can I do tomorrow to help um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in Australia? And, you know, we also have the Uluru Statement of the Heart um, symbolised in our book and reference to that, you know, in the next year or two, um, our government should be holding um, a referendum on whether or not we think Indigenous people should be um, written into our constitution uh, and giving us a voice uh, in that constitution. So by helping people upskill them with knowledge about Aboriginal culture, and also leaving them with the, the, the term terra nullius to go on their own journey, we're also then giving them um, maybe first vision of the Uluru Statement of the Heart and something that's coming up in that, you know, we need all people to vote yes to give Indigenous people that voice in, parliament, uh, voice in our constitution. Okay, that's really important. Um, on the very last page of the book, there's a beautiful image which is set as I understand it, in the Botanic Gardens, just next to the Sydney Opera House. And in that beautiful image, we have lots of different kinds of Australian people all together. And I can even notice you three in there, in the yeah. back. Yes. <laughs> Hidden up the back. Hidden up the back. So do you think that that image is reflective of the Australia of now and of the future? Is that what you were trying to, trying to do with that? Uh, for me, yeah, um, it's, it's all cultures are as important as each other. and. Um, I think we, we all need to respect each other uh, equally and it's beautiful to have, you know, all these different cultures making up Australia. Yeah, great. That was really David's creation, that last page. Oh, great, okay. And how it looked, it was, it's beautifully composed. And from an Indigenous point of view, that's the way we see Australia. You know, we see we're all inclusive. That's yeah. who we are. Um, you know, are other people in our communities, is that the Australia that they see? You know, it depends on where you live. You know, when we think of the media, well, it's not a reflection of who we are as, um, as a nation. So whenever we possibly can in our book, we want to, um, you know, share with our readers and people that are coming on our journey that um, our whole series is about welcome to our country. This is our country. We're here together. We're here sharing it together. Let's learn more about each other. And let's not you know, use the differences between our cultures and our beliefs to separate us. Let's use that as a talking point to how we can move closer together. Okay, that's great. So if we think about all the things we've talked about today, we've learnt about um, this idea of terra nullius, which means nobody was there, but actually what our book is teaching us is that it was somebody's land and somebody was there. 
And we've learned about collaborating together to create things and sticking to it. <laughs> and we've learned about the importance of understanding Aboriginal culture so that we can go forward together and that this beautiful Aboriginal culture, the many Aboriginal cultures which have been on this land for 60,000 plus years, um, can now be shared with all Australians. So that's a lot. And all of those things are together in the book. So let's have one final question from a school. Um, as we start to think about what does it take to write all of this stuff together into a book. So this question comes again from Darlington Public School. How long did it take you to write the book? Okay, how long did it take you to write the book? Well, it, it I, all up, I think about two years. And so um, Adam and I met face-to-face once or twice before the pandemic hit Australia. And then from then on, it was lots of phone calls and video calls and emails. Um, and it takes quite, I think for <laughs> both of us, it, it, we were quite shocked at how long it takes yeah. to write a book that's, um, you know, it's a picture book and, and not huge numbers of pages. Yeah. But it is a really lengthy process getting to the, to the end stage. And obviously you need mm. to give someone like David a lot of time to get the drawings right and, and have that creative, t you know, that space and time to bring his creative juices to the fore. So the message to our kids is, if you've got a story to write or a picture to draw, stick to it. Stick to it. Keep going. Well, sometimes you have deadlines. So the, the, <laughs> the teachers might give you um, a couple of weeks to write that story. So give yourself as much time to write the story the best way that you want to. Yeah. Uh, we've been very lucky. We've had a, a lot of bit of time to do. Don't miss your deadlines. <laughs> there you go. And, I, and as a writer, the only other thing I'd say is, and I, and I didn't think I was a particularly good writer as a kid. I didn't really love English at school, which is strange. And then I've made a career out of telling stories. But um, I would always say, get, get it out. Get the words on the page and then work on perfecting it. Because if you try and get something perfect on a page straight away, you'll be stuck and worried and it won't be as enjoyable as it could be. Well, thank you for that excellent advice. Another huge thank you to our very special guests. Adam, Ellie, David, it's been fantastic. Join us again for another author tour, for workshops, the author talks. We have a huge digital education program here at the Sydney Opera House and we can't wait for you to join us for our next digital author talk. Thank you so much. Thanks again. Thank you. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Thanks to make sure you don't miss out, subscribe to Artie Farty wherever you get your podcasts from.